Welcome to the Wisdom of Coaches podcast. This is Coach Raybo. I'm joined today, as always, by Coach Persant and Coach Falting. We have a great lineup of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. As per usual, we'll be going over our question of the day. And then we have a wide variety of topics that I imagine we'll be diving in and out of uh, as they unfold over the course of this podcast. So thank you for tuning in and uh, you're going to enjoy it. So let's get straight to the question of the day, which uh, I posed to my fellow uh, podcasters this morning so they can kind of get a chance to think about it. Um, so the question is, should cross-country course distances be standard? Uh, so I was kind of looking at this from the, uh, we are also going to dive into this on the college side as well. So, um, for instance, most high school cross-country courses uh, are either three miles or 5K. Um, you know, sometimes some uh, girls run two miles. I know when I was in high school, the girls we were in ran two mile races for the first two years, and then they bumped us up to three miles. So um, I'm posing the question is, should these races be standardized? This could be statewide, you know, because Louisiana could standardize and say, hey, every race should be a three mile or every race should be a 5K. Um, or at least your district regional, you know, the ones that count have to be a certain distance um, or it could be nationwide. Should we, you know, level the playing field all the way across the board? Should everyone run a 5K? Should everyone run a three mile? And then taking that to college, you know, um, some colleges run 8K, some run 10K, women run 6K. Um, so uh, a lot to dive into on this question. So uh, I'm going to let Prasant go first, Falting will go afterwards and then I'll chime in with my two cents at the end. All right. So in my opinion, but I have a, a few caveats to go with that. Caveats to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe that because, you know, one 5K is going to be completely different from another 5K based on the terrain and based on the weather, that there's no real reason to have a standard distance because each race is going to be different anyways. So what I feel that you should do is have a range of distances that you're going to have. So for example, high schools, they have to have their races anywhere between maybe 4K and 5K or yeah, that's a good one. Anywhere between 4K and 5K and any school that puts on a meet, they can decide any distance between four and 5K, that's the race for that cross country meet. The only thing is, girls and boys must run that distance. It has to be the same thing. So if there's not gonna be a boys distance and then a girls distance. One distance for both boys and girls, anywhere between 4K and 5K. When you go up to college, I say that you should have it between 6K and 8K. And when you go up to like World Athletics International competitions, anywhere between 10K and 12K. And so that way there's a standard distance based on what level you're at but for boys and girls, the distance can be anywhere between a range. So that's where I feel we should go with this. All right, Falting, your, your thoughts on that and your own uh, opinion. Uh, I mean, the fact that it doesn't have a standard distance has kind of influenced the, the way I coach it significantly. Uh, in Louisiana, the state meet is a three-mile course, um, and it's not a very challenging three-mile course. It's uh, two laps, uh, two one-mile loops around a soccer field, and then you go over a hill and you end on a track. So it's a very fast three-mile course. 
Uh, and so because of that, we do a lot of 5K racing to make sure our athletes are strong enough uh, that a three mile, you know, that doesn't have any kind of adverse effects on them or anything like that. Um, so if they change to a standard distance, it might change how I coach. But I, I'm actually a fan of the standard distance, uh, especially uh, for high school on the national level. You know, um, I look at things like Van Cortland Park in New York. You know, they'll always come out and say, you know, Fayetteville Manly has ran this incredible time on Van Cortland or uh, Christian Brothers has this incredible time on Van Cortland, and it's a two-and-a-half-mile course. And then they're trying to convert that idea of how fast that group ran two and a half miles to how fast they'll run on the national scene. Um, you know, and then I look at uh, Illinois that runs a lot of three mile courses and you get these incredibly fast times from these Illinois teams. And then you go over and look at Texas and we're getting 5k times and, you know, and it's kind of hard to make these comparisons with these groups, you know, as far as these fast, non-humid, cool weather, you know, three miles for, for a whole state versus these, you know, 5K ridiculously humid uh, times for a whole state of Texas. Uh, granted, like Versant says, we can't, you know, get all the variables to be comparable. So I think that we should at least look at making um, one of the variables comparable. Uh, and I don't have a preference over three mile or 5K. I, I'm perfectly content with either one of them. But it would be nice to see something where all the time you're getting the same results from across the country. You know, in high school track, we don't see the 1,500 and the 3,000 as much as we see the mile and two miles. So when I go to compare where my kids stack up in the state or where they stack up in the south, I can pull up all the mile times that have been recorded, and it's the, the bulk of things. But I can also pull up, you know, 5K times for the country and three mile times for the country, and it'd be all over the place. The top three mile in the country might have never even run a 5K. And, you know, so I think that's something to look at, um, you know, as far as those things go. So I'm, I'm a fan of standardizing things. I'm also not a fan, you know, I've been coaching girls sports uh, for a long time. I'm not a fan of the idea that girls can't run as far as boys. So I'm glad they've like gotten rid of this idea that girls can only run two miles at the same strain as a guy running three miles. And even that up. So, um, so yeah, that's where I, I would like that variable to be one that we hold uh, as everyone has that same uh, distance there. I, I'm uh, in the same vein as you. I, I definitely think standardized would help. You know, if we look at something like track, you know, all our tracks are the standard length. You know, we don't have somebody who has a 400 meter track and then someone else is going to, you know, run a, a 500 meter track where track events are the same distance and, you know, they're, Temperature is going to be different. Weather is going to be different. Um, elevation is going to be different. But you can look at, you know, two tracks and say, hey, these were both done on, you know, I ran 1,600 meters on this track. I ran 1,600 meters on this track. And so the times are mostly comparable. And, and for the sake of a national cross-country comparison, I would like to see something similar. Of course, you know, one course might be, you know, pancake flat, and another course might, you know, climb five or 600 feet of elevation over the course of three miles. But in the same vein, I think you would get a lot of courses that would be comparable if you were looking at stuff that's just three miles or stuff that's 5K. Um, you know, we see this a lot where um, some, some courses will be like 2.85, 2.9. And maybe it's, you know, by accident, maybe it's something that's just kind of happened over time. Uh, you know, some of these meets, 
are held at the same place every single week, uh, week after week. And the first week, someone goes out there and spray paints the course uh, and puts out some cones. And then as the, you know, season progresses, less cones are put out, the spray paint kind of fades, athletes start cutting corners. And we're seeing athletes run, you know, 1450 for three miles and, and being touted all over, you know, mile split. And then these same athletes get to the state meet a legitimate three mile course that's pancake fly out of the side from one tiny little hill that should be a fast course and they're running like 1530 1540 um so you know you look at that and it's just not legitimate to me uh you know that was one of the things that when we built the course um in Bozier, you know to me we had three things in mind when we built that course first was it's going to be three mile course and you know we measured we we rolled it we we ran it with a GPS, we, we rolled it with a wheel. You know, the second thing we tried to make sure of was um, that it was not cheatable. So we were, you know, marking stuff, making it to where athletes couldn't cut corners and cheapen the course. You know, they weren't getting 2.95 out of it because they cut a corner. And I think the third thing, you know, we tried to make it spectator friendly more so than, you know, anything else. So those three things came into uh, play, but, you know, you go to Texas and it's, it's mostly 5Ks and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, when we'd go to Arkansas, it'd be a lot of 5Ks. We went to Mississippi and it'd be 5Ks. But then Louisiana was almost exclusively just running three miles. So I think having some type of standardized measurement across the country um, would be extremely helpful. And I think, you know, just on the state wide, just making sure that, you know, courses if they're three miles they are three miles i think a lot of times uh sometimes meet directors um or whoever sets up gets a little lazy and, and doesn't think about things like that and then you start getting times that may or may not be factual in the grand scheme of things well right well you know with that too i think some meet directors want their kids to feel fast and are almost purposely like you know shortening the courses without telling people so they can they can kind of mentally prove to their kids that what they're doing is working. So, um, you know, you see stuff like that. Um, you know, there, and I agree with you, Ray, but I think there could be things where we could have course certifications, you know, um, they do that for professional running. Uh, maybe you have people that come out that actually, you know, wheel the course, verify that it's the right length. And we use that course. Maybe we use less courses. We have so many meets all over the state hosted on like, you know, a high school campus here, a public park there, you know, maybe we get, you know, 10 certified courses in the state and that's where you run races at. So people aren't questioning those things, you know, and then back to the variable thing, while you guys were, you know, been talking, I started thinking there was an article in uh, Running Times Magazine back in the day uh, about how um, a guy set out to quantify the different courses. So he looked at the times that were coming on courses and the difficulty of the courses, and he came up with like a plus minus factor. So if somebody ran, like let's say at our place, uh, they might get um, like a, a minus factor, minus 10, because our course is really uh, flat. You know, whereas if somebody ran uh, at uh, a course like, like where we host the Menard meet at the end of this huge hill, maybe they get a plus factor and the time could be as much as, you know, plus five seconds uh, slower than on, you know, a certain course. And uh, I believe the guy was stationed out in New York, but he actually tried to quantify those things 
And that might be something to look into as well. So if we all have a common distance, maybe we start rating the difficulty of courses and having that play an effect, sort of like wind does in the 100, uh, and, and, and calculating that from there. Well, the thing is, with, with all of that, the weather plays such a big role in the variation between courses that I don't know if even standardizing would make a difference because for the state meet, uh, what was it? That one where it was really rainy and really, really muddy. Yeah. Times were almost two to three minutes slower, right? <laughs> we made it on Let's Run for being the slowest state. That's right, yeah. Let's Run was like, look at these people. Their state meets the fastest guys running like 18, 19 minutes. And we're like, oh, and, but mud was that like guy went over to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, like, since the weather can play such a huge role, even if you standardize all the distances, there's that big variable that you, like, can't really compare easily because well, it can be different so much from day to day. To, to play devil's advocate with you, though, we, you know, we standardize the marathon and we standardize, you know, track events and the weather plays a big part on those. I mean, you know, if I run a, a – a 10k on the track in you know portland in the spring and then i go you know and run a 10k on the track in texas in july weather's going to play a factor my times are going to be completely different between those two even though you're still on a track you're still in the same race and i understand cross country introduces a little bit of a different aspect simply because you can get mud you can get things like that which might also affect but i mean if you look at like the Boston Marathon a few years ago where it was like raining and sleeting and you know you, you basically had athletes dropping out with hypothermia um, and, and the winning times were incredibly slow comparative to you know what what normally happens I mean you know typically Boston you have plenty of people under 205 and I want to say the men's time was you know upper two teens if not lower 220s um, so we, we still see this in road races and track, maybe not quite to the same extent as a cross-country race, simply because um, cross-country races are a little bit different. But, I, I mean, I would liken that to any road 5K, any road marathon or anything like that. Those courses are different, but we have to standardize those distances. Um, and maybe that's right. one of the, the things about cross-country is it, it shouldn't be a standardized distance. It should be over hill and dale. You know, I always loved it whenever, you know, these, like, 40, 50-year-old dudes would find out I ran cross-country in high school, and they'd be like, oh, in my day, we jumped barbed wire fences and hay bales and, you know, ran through the pond, and I was just kind of like, that sounds completely miserable, <laughs> and I don't want to get back to that because I don't think, you know, it's not a tough mutter, it's a cross-country race, but, you know, maybe that's part of cross-country is just having that little extra, but I just think it would benefit uh, if we're looking at it kind of, you know, if I'm a college coach and I'm trying to look at two athletes from two different states who run on two different courses and I'm trying to kind of quantify that, it would be a little, little bit easier if I was able to go, well, here's what both of them have done on this distance. Because, you know, you're right. There are coaches who are saying this is a three-mile race and it's not a three-mile race. You know, I can remember uh, a guy who was a local runner in Shreveport who went to a school in North Louisiana uh, and every year – like right before their district state meet, the coach would take the team to a little meet in Texas, uh, and the meet was like 2.85, and it was like the coaches kind of all knew it, and they would just tell their athletes, like, hey, it's, it's a three-mile. And this guy's, you know, telling us, oh, man, me and my whole team went off at that meet. Our whole team was like a minute and 15 seconds. We all set like a minute PRs, and like immediately I just went, oh, it's a short course. What? 
no, no. Yeah, if your entire <laughs> team went like a minute faster, it was a short course. Like that's just like that. I how can you not see that? And he was just in denial about it. But it was their coach would tell them this is a three mile course, knowing it wasn't. They would go run something incredible. And yeah, it's a huge boost for them mentally. Um, but on the other side of that, we have so many athletes these days who get on mile split, and you're like, I mean, we would tell athletes just get off of mile split because they're just analyzing every stupid little detail about things. And if they see <laughs> this athlete, maybe they're trying to beat the number three kid from this team, and that team is running 2.9, you know, mile races the entire season, and they just keep seeing this kid post, you know, a 16:30 over and over again. When in reality, the kids may be running closer to 17 flat. They just get it in their head before the end of the season. I can't beat this kid. And right. then when it comes to the state meet, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you could argue, well, you know, maybe that's part of the psychological thing of it. But I think that's stupid. Like, have courses that are certified, have a standard distance that everyone's running, and, you know, at least move it into the realm of being quantifiable. If not, it's never going to be completely, you know, but no marathons are. I can't look at Chicago Marathon and compare it to LA Marathon. It's two different right. courses. It's two different temperatures. It's two different times of year. But I can still say that they both ran the same distance, and I can compare their times somewhat. And see, my thing with that is, since college coaches know that, courses are all over the place when it comes to distance and you know taking weather into account they don't just look at the times they compare the people who've run within that race and how they compare to each other oh, if you have enough yeah and so if you have enough data from that that's what a college coach i feel should focus on more so if that's the case why not just have the distances be within a certain range whatever the you know meet director wants to have it at just make sure they say this was a two point you know, nine mile race, or this was a 3.1 mile race. If, if we're going with the high school kids, there's a couple of issues there. You know, one is uh, these coaches won't come out and say what these distances are. So like, you know, going back to the point that Rebo and I are pushing about certified courses. Uh, yeah, I think there would be something okay to the fact of we're going to host a race that it's a 4k and it's an actual 4k <laughs> race. So even though the kids race something less than three miles, they do what they were doing. You could put it into like the McMillan converter or something and get something out of a deal, but they don't do that. They, right. The, the overall claim always is this is a three mile course and it's a toss up on what you get, mm. you know, uh, and, and Raybo to your point about the kids, you know, mentally having to struggle with the fact of looking like, Oh, I can't race every kid in the state every week. This kid just popped a great time uh, running three miles this weekend. And I haven't run that time. I think that's another reason why we take our team to run 5Ks because so few teams do it. And high school kids, a lot of them aren't really good at making the connection between the two things and converting them. So it has taken sometimes some of the stress off of runners uh, because of that. Like, oh, hey, we ran a really hard 5K. They ran a really easy three mile and they can't quantify where they're at. And so it kind of helps take away some of the, the stress from these kids. Uh, right. Yeah, until somebody mm -hmm. says, we're going to measure these courses, and this is exactly this. I mean, if you if you go to a college meet, and, and you know, Rebo, you coach college, I coach college, there were literally times we'd get the results, and at the top, it would be like, uh, event number two, 5,025 meters. And I was like, what in the world is this? And it's because they would go and measure their courses, and their courses were almost never actually just an exact 5K. And they would actually publish, like, this is the distance. It was 5,008 
you know, meters. It was 6,020 meters. That I could live with way more than this. We just called a three mile because that's what's expected and, you know, drop some, some flagging out there. Right. right. And then you get the ones that at the state meter badger and the, the host about, oh, it's a 5k. And it, it just kind of shocks me. Like, you know, when you're wheeling a course, you wheel the tangents, you wheel the shortest possible route. And then I would watch these coaches go and wheel the middle of the course for the whole thing. And then they're like, oh, it's a 5k. And I'm like, no, it's a three mile. You just didn't wheel the tangents. You were wheeling like the middle of the path. That's not how you would run the course. You know, it's not how a course is measured. And so, you know, it's just something that we constantly ran into, you know, especially after we started kind of building courses for our district meet, our, our open meet that we held. And then when we started having to do the regional meet, you know, it just kind of shocked me where people would put out some cones and be like, well, that's the outside of the turn. And then you would be like, well, where's the marks for the inside of the turn? And they would go, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, if you don't, <laughs> put flagging to show the kids where the inside is they can literally cut this turn by 10 20 30 meters if they want because there's no one there to tell them not to and i think that's what a lot of times happens at some of these other meets is kids are cutting corners and stuff like that and you know you shave off two seconds here three seconds here over the course of three miles and suddenly you're you know 20 seconds faster than you were the week before just by cutting some stuff off and so I think, you know, one thing, even if you didn't standardize it, just having a little bit more um, workers at meets, yeah, accountability, that was the, the word I was looking at, um, you know, just having more work. I mean, we would put parents out, you know, get volunteers to go stand out by a curb and, you know, we would have flagged it really well, um, sometimes probably overdoing so just to make, keep it honest. And then we'd put somebody out there and, you know, if a, a runner tried to cut it, you know, the, the person would, you know, write down their bib number and, that person's then pulled from the race because you want to keep things accountable. And, you know, I, as a college coach, I would look at stuff and, you know, you take, you take really good results and really bad results with a grain of salt because you understand this cross country. But if I had been at the major university and I'm trying to pull athletes from all over the country, it would just make my life a little bit easier to have some type of like, Hey, here's, you know, the 5k time that all these kids ran every race they ran was a 5k. It's a little bit easier to take a look at that and kind of get an idea of where the kids are at, even if the courses are, you know, maybe a little bit different elevation or weather than, you know, if I'm trying to sit there and look at a time and decipher, well, yeah, this kid ran a three mile in 1520, but then most of his other three miles were closer to 16. And then he ran a 5k in 1630. It, you know, it's just a lot more work on the college coach when they're having to go and pick through each and every single one of those uh, things and look at each race individually to see how that kid stacked up with another kid. Um, so that's, that's my two cents on the matter. Makes sense. <laughs> well, all right. So we will get it rolling with uh, our kind of lightning round of different things that we talk about. Um, I think first we're going to take a stop. Uh, Louisiana has started cross-country practice, so we're going to check in with Coach Falting, the only one of us currently still coaching high school runners, um, and see see how things are going in Louisiana. And uh, I, I did notice that uh, on the Weather Channel, y'all had like a heat index of 108, and all I could think was, God, I'm so glad I don't live there right now. 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been. We also had a tropical storm that rolled through here on on opening day uh, that we had to kind of battle with. Uh, Cristobal wanted to make its mark, uh, but so far, you know, the changes haven't been as bad as I thought it was going to be. When you actually put like like plan to action, you know, writing on paper kind of seemed like overkill, but. Uh, so right now our kids show up for practice. We got to take their temperature as soon as they get there. There's a, a, uh, a maximum temperature they're allowed to have. And if they fail that temperature, they have to immediately get in the car and go on back home. If somebody rides in the car with them, even if they were safe, the other kid was not since they were exposed to them, they get in the car and go back home. Uh, and then after that, um, basically the way our practice works right now is we check their temperature. Uh, once they pass their temperature, we meet in a large field. Uh, we have cones set up. Um, we did a little bit of overkill. The cones are set up 15 feet apart, vertically and horizontally, in this little grid. And so you get there, you drop your stuff off at your cone. That's your cone for the day. Uh, if we're doing any kind of stretching or anything or water breaks, we'll do them at your cone. Uh, if you're waiting to get picked up after practice, you'll sit at your cone. Um, and then we kind of give the kids some tasks to do while we're taking temperatures, uh, get their warm-up lap in, uh, do a little stretching, and then by the time we get done with the temperatures, it's time to run. Um, the kids, the first day, we tried to run single file. We thought, you know, six feet apart the whole time, uh, run single file. That did not work very well. Uh, and some, some <laughs> rather intelligent cross-country kids, which I know is basically every cross-country kid, uh, started to figure out that you could pack run if you made different like formations. And so right now, the formation that most of them are running in is a triangle where the, uh, each of the runners is six feet apart. Uh, and then they're kind of running together. They can rotate the triangle and change the lead so somebody else can set the pace. Uh, and they're keeping that social distancing, but actually getting the, the experience of, you know, pack running or things like that as opposed to so, so they're in a flying sort of V formation? Right, yeah. It's like watching the Mighty Ducks right there at practice. Uh, and so, very nice. <laughs> uh, so it's been very successful. Uh, this morning we woke up to weather that never went above 70. So we got a, a progression run in and the, and the kids were feeling great and enjoying it. Uh, we've kind of made a commitment right now that we're not going to measure any distances um, because of the social distancing. So like if a kid has to pass somebody and ends up running off the course to pass them, we don't want to be Oh, I didn't get my mile for this. So we're just uh, using different loops that we lay out and having them. If we do a progression, each time you run the loop, uh, run a little faster the next time. If we do a fart lick, we don't really care where you run. We'll blow a whistle and you can pick up the pace. We'll blow a whistle and you can slow back down. Um, but we're, we're doing things like that. And uh, the kids seem to, you know, three days of practice, they're adapting pretty well. We're pretty excited. Uh, so it, like I said, it was way better than I thought when all the details came out. So, it, uh, you know, knock on wood, it's a success story so far. We can keep y'all in the loop as we go through the, the rest of the summer. So the temperature checks are the only difficult part of it, right? Uh, I mean, you know, we when Cristobal was coming, we were worried about introducing all the new protocols in a tropical storm. Ah, um, that too. <laughs> but we, uh, we were pretty blessed. The storm was supposed to get here at like 7.30 a.m. Um, and we, we made the call to try to have practice and just get as much of the stuff in before it got here. And it didn't even get, end up getting here until like 11.30. Uh, so, nice. <laughs> uh, so we, were, we were in a good place with that. Um, 
you know, Tuesday was ridiculously hot. Today was, was ridiculously cool. Uh, Louisiana has no seasons. It's just the, you know, you sneeze and it's a different weather. Uh, but we'll adapt to it. And, and we're, we're pretty lucky the kids are all willing to train at 7 a.m. And that combats some of the heat. Um, you know, so I've, I've been pretty blessed to have pretty motivated kids in the summer to, to, to get up that early. Yeah, I, uh, before we move on, since we're talking about high school training, um, for, for those who haven't found out yet, I'm pretty sure I've brought it up in, in some form of an article or a podcast, but I live about half a mile from a, a lake that has a seven mile uh, dirt trail around it. And it's more like a dirt road than like a single track trail. I mean, you can, you can drive and sometimes the city drives trucks around it and stuff like that and people bike, but, uh, it's a very popular spot for, uh, high school and college teams. Wake Forest cross country comes down, um, about once a week during the season. I think they're the ones responsible for taking out my mailbox, uh, on, on more than one occasion. Uh, so <laughs> Wake Forest, if you're listening to this, you're more than welcome to send me a check. <laughs> but the other morning I was – and I just do all my runs out there uh, because it's convenient. It's half mile down the road and I can get on dirt. Um, and so the other morning I was doing my run and I noticed uh, a boys and girls team. Um, not at the high school I, I teach at. I'm not exactly sure which one. But uh, I ran past them on my way out and turned around and was coming back. And uh, they probably had 10 to 12 boys um no no real sort of social distancing which a lot of the stuff is kind of said you know as long as you're outdoors and you're moving you're really not that susceptible to anything um you know with that in mind I don't know if I would have put you know 12 high school kids right up together I might have broken them off into a couple groups but the one thing that I just like I almost started laughing right there while I was running I was I was certainly chuckling to myself is um you, you know you had your your stronger kids up front, you could kind of tell they were, they were taller and a little bit, you know, more fit, a little bit, you know, more defined muscle. And then it was just kind of like they got shorter as they went back. So it was just kind of like you're watching them age. And then the shorts to the opposite at the front, they had like real small shorts. And then as they went back, the shorts got longer. And I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> just like seeing that kind of like visually as you went by. Um, the the was, evolution of man and racing shorts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach Falting has a book um, recommendation that he would like to uh, discuss um, that has some very interesting um, source material in it. Um, so I'll let him take that away once again. <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, a couple things. Uh, I'm reading uh, a book right now, a manuscript that uh, I'm going to give everybody like a, a teaser for before we end today. Uh, but uh, because I try to stay in the book world as much as possible, uh, I mean, there's literally a stack of books right beside this computer as we go through this. Uh, it was uh, an interesting surprise to see uh, Nick Simmons' uh, new running book pop up on my feed yesterday uh, with a lot of interesting titles of chapters and, and uh, his advertisement that if you wanted to become a better runner, uh, read this book and, and I can get you there. Uh, right next to that pop-up uh, was a, an ad from Let's Run for their uh, uh, high school and college running program they're selling for this summer to train high school and college athletes. And so, you know, it got me thinking about, uh, you know, who should we be taking advice from, you know, when we're reading these books uh, and what are we getting out of these books? And, uh, you know, is, is Nick Simmons, you know, the guy you want your uh, – your team reading about to kind of learn from their running experience or not. 
Uh, and so, you know, throwing it back to you guys, like, I mean, what runner out there right now do you think would write a relevant training book that you would be willing to be like, hey, I, I'd like my runners to, to read this? Um, because, uh, you know, um, I, I read Nick Simmons' biography recently, and I'm just not sure if that's the, the, the way I want my kids training <laughs> through that life. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, on the Let's Run book, I, I hope it's just kind of like a, a weird coffee table book where all the advice is just like from the message boards where it's like random people writing in to give the advice because those are just typically golden. Um, well, actually, be... I think the Let's Run thing is a full training program that I think they said is like $125. Yeah, it's, it's an actual program. <laughs> that you're, you're investigating. They'll coach was, you for it. I was just dumbfounded too, that they were like, one of their target audiences is college runners. And I'm thinking, what college coach is not giving his kids the summer workouts, you know, <laughs> that's, that's worth his salt, that the kid would be like, you know what I'm gonna do? Instead of taking my coach's advice, I'm gonna go buy this let's run thing. And I'm gonna do their stuff instead of my coach's stuff. You know, and so, uh, so yeah, like I, I, I can't imagine what it looks like but uh you know for me i mean if i were going to look at a runner that i'd be willing to take some advice from i'm going to look at somebody like like meb you know who has had like huge long-term success avoided a lot of major injuries until you know very you know high up there in age and stuff uh was a consistent runner on so many levels um you know uh had quality training through a couple of different coaches. I mean, to me, like, that's, that's the kind of guy that, you know, like, he writes a book, uh, and, and he did. He wrote, well, he had a friend write a book called Med for Mortals that kind of goes through some of the stuff. But that's something, if I'm opening that book, I'm thinking that's a reliable resource for me. Uh, yeah. Not the how I tried to date Paris Hilton uh, <laughs> <laughs> while, while training for the world championships. Yeah, um, that, that that's definitely a good point. Um, you know, you you almost want. I'm not going to say that Nick Simmons isn't wholesome, um, but I I don't know that I would say he's PG either. Um, and you know, if I'm if I'm advertising something for my high school kids, um, I'm I'm not. You know, I have no issue with Nick Simmons whatsoever, but I do I do think he might instill. Um, some bad habits on on high school runners particular um and possibly college runners as well if they were if they're looking at that so yeah i would i would try to find someone who i think has done it right and done it well uh you know i'd be interested in looking at somebody like emma coburn um who i think is you know um as we have said before was not just some incredible you know flash in the pan high school athlete was somebody who was a uh, you know on the upper end of like a steady performer you know and then college and you know since then has just worked her way you know held the american record um in the steeplechase i think it's since been um been beaten out for the american record if i'm if i'm up to date on something uh, on my knowledge there but you know it was an olympic silver medalist or bronze medalist um, i don't remember Definitely an Olympic medalist um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and not gold. But, you know, I, I think, you know, when I look at, you know, I follow her on Instagram. I've met her. I, I got a picture with her. Um, she signed an autograph for my wife. Somebody who has just, to me, been, you know, very much um, above the board, of, you know, has been a, a positive role model for 
um, runners for women. Uh, and, you know, I think with her and, and her husband, her coach, uh, Joe Bosshard, um, would, you know, would, would love to see something from them in regards to high school and, and, you know, collegiate athletes, because also looking, I, you know, you don't see them being injured very often, you know, whenever you're looking at that training group, you don't see a lot of injuries, um, or anything of that sort. They just seem like a, a good group of individuals who, you know, get down and get to work and, and produce some great, uh, so I think that would be, you know, somebody, either her or her husband, you know, kind of maybe together putting out some type of training manual. And that would be uh, very interesting to see. Yeah, I would go with uh, Haley Gebersalasi because not only is he, you know, amazing at what he's done, but he's been amazing at all the distances, essentially. <laughs> so you get to see his point of view from like, what it's like to train as a mid-distance runner. What's it like to train as a full marathon or what's it like to break world records and that like range I feel would be really good for a high schooler to read about and be like oh this is the kind of dedication I need to actually succeed but I, agree. I will give the Nick Simmons side of things a little devil's advocate here because if you're trying to have not a high schooler read a running book those people I think should read more into the like what's it like to actually be in the full-fledged professional running world because it's not all you know daisies and roses so maybe they should see sort of the darker side of things <laughs> who knows so, yeah you know, along those lines too uh so mo farah or galen rupp writes a book you guys uh giving that one to your high school athletes are you guys reading that one or have the the events uh surrounding you know their coaches and stuff does that does that taint that book i was i was just about to say when Prasant said uh gabriel Slossi, you know his range that it would probably for me be between and this would be something that i would love to delve into on the q a of who has one of the you know runners with the greatest range i think the the fight would kind of be between them two because mo Perez also had an incredible range from his 1500 meter up to his marathon and has had a lot of success uh, along with Gabriel Slossi. Having said that, and yeah, there's just, you know, we talked about Salazar a little bit last time on the podcast and um, both of them have been coached by Salazar. Mo has also been coached by, uh, I believe someone else who has been caught up in a, a doping scandal. Um, and neither of them had tested and you know they've both been tested significantly um you know they haven't missed drug tests like we just saw this week that uh one of the 400 meter uh girls had, had missed three drug tests in a year and so should get you know a, a two-year ban um but i don't know it's just it's almost like you're playing baseball in the area of like barry bonds and mark mcguire and sammy so so like i you know you're you're riding in with Lance Armstrong, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, I'm not saying that you are, and I would love to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I, maybe they haven't done anything illegal, but have they done some stuff that's probably in that gray area that we talked about, um, you know, but then again, I'm pretty cynical, I, I'm kind of one of those people who think that, you know, if you look at professional athletes, I, I think if, and you look at the top 10% of professional athletes, 
I'm willing to bet that the majority of them are on something, if not illegal, in a gray area. And that could be, you know, from Tom Brady to UFC to golf to now, nah, I don't care what. Um, I, I just kind of have that feeling that there's a, a lot more people than we would like to think are, you know, using alternative means to achieve their results. Well, and, like and this also brings up the question that our high schoolers, should we, you know, block them from learning about these things in high school because if they do want to you know go you know become professional athletes later on if that's one of their goals they should know what they may get into now well i, I mean, don't know the the weird part you know high school athletes is that the, the technically the drug testing for high school athletes is testing more for like uh recreational usage drugs not for steroids and stuff uh and mm -hmm. they actually some stories about guys that in like the 1970s could just crank out the shot put in high school, uh, you know, and, and kind of take whatever they could find to be able to do that. And then getting to college and just crapping out once they realized, hey, they're going to start drug testing me all the time and stuff. So, um, so well, those school, the teams we went against, they were throwing a girl shot put. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, the high schoolers, uh, on that stuff. I don't know if you got to get that into it. You know, my, my thing, like, I came into the idea of, like, professional runners way later on. Like, uh, I didn't have a, a track or cross-country background before I really started coaching it. When I started coaching cross-country, uh, I read some books from some, some coaches that have been coaching for a long, long time. Uh, you know, I watched Without Limits, uh, you know, a bunch of times. I got inspiration there. But it wasn't until about 2012 uh, that I really started watching professional distance runners a whole bunch. Uh, I mean, my, my track memories before 2012 were watching Michael Johnson wear the gold shoes in the 96 Olympics. Um, you know, but in 2012, one of the first guys I got exposed to was Galen Rupp at the pre-classic. Uh, he ran the 5K. Uh, he didn't win that day, but he ran under 13 minutes. And it was just amazing. It like, blew my mind to watch humans do something I didn't know they could do at the time. Um, and so, like, I've always been a huge fan of Galen. I've met him multiple times at meets. I've gotten his autograph, you know, several times um, and stuff. It, it, it's, it's been, you know, kind of like a running idol to me. Uh, I, you know, the Olympics where him and Mo go, uh, one for Mo and two for, for Galen was just incredible, you know. And so I, I kind of wonder all the time if, if could he have done the same stuff and could Mo have done the same stuff if they'd just been coached by someone different? You know, and then you get, we get the story where we're looking at these guys who did these amazing things, um, you know, and, and we get to celebrate that story instead of like questioning it. You know, now, okay. I mean, I think, you know, what Mike Smith is doing with Galen now, even though they're not on the track anymore, they're with the marathon, um, does show, you know, that, that there's a lot to Galen besides what Salazar brought to it, you know, but I would have loved him to be like the American uh, distance running hero of the modern era. And I, I just wish that could have played out a little different. You know, I, I would read the book that Galen writes uh, just to give him the benefit of the doubt because of, of everything I've seen over the years. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, let's move it along. So we are going to now, uh, over the weekend, there was a concerted effort uh, of multiple individuals to break um, a lot of treadmill records. <laughs> um, 
I, I guess when you've been trapped inside for months and there are no races, you, you will do whatever you can to, to go after something and, and maybe test your training. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to say like the Chomsky uh, thing, but that's, that's not pronouncing <laughs> right. it correct. I, I, I got it pulled up here. It's the, it's the Chosky challenge. Uh, we but. had, uh, so C-H-A-S-K-I, the Chosky challenge. We had the uh, half marathon men's and women's record, the marathon men's and women's record, the 50K men's and women's record, and the 100K men's record. Now these were all treadmill records uh, that were set on Saturday in a in an effort all together. There's there's a, a Zoom file watching all these people go and get after it. Uh, there was you know at least one famous runner in here. Sarah Hall set the women's uh, half marathon treadmill record with a time of uh, oh, what do we got here? Uh, time of uh, 109.03. Uh, and then uh, the men's new half marathon record set by John Ranieri at 63.08. Uh, the 100K record did require that Mario Mendoza ran on that treadmill for six hours and 39 minutes as well. Oh. So, and for those of us not uh, in tune with kilometers, that's uh, the equivalent of 62.1 um, miles. What am I? 62.2. 62.2 miles. I think. Or, yeah, whatever. Close enough. Something around there. <laughs> 62 miles, we'll call it. More than I would like to, to run. <laughs> yeah, on, in, definitely more than I would ever want to do on a treadmill, that's for sure. Uh, so hats off to them. That's in addition to the 100-mile uh, record that was broken a, a few weeks ago that we discussed on the uh, podcast as well. Um, so moving up back to some track and field news uh, a few weeks ago over the past several podcasts we've just kind of been dropping colleges names that have been dropping their track and field and cross country programs over uh, Brown being one of them and um, which they have reversed that and now Brown has reinstated uh, their men's track and field program yeah. under some very with some very odd language attached to it. Um, so faulting, what was it that they uh, explained about adding yeah. some track and field back? So I, I don't know uh, if they just got themselves into like an odd issue, uh, but when they uh, terminated this program and then added, what did they add for some yachting or, uh, or uh, sailing. sailing? Sailing, yeah, I mean, yeah. Something, something really pretentious. Um, the sport of kings. <laughs> that's right. But when they when they got rid of uh, track men's track and cross country, they said it was a diversity issue, uh, and then they added probably the least diverse sport in the history of man. Um, so when they had to, you know, they had public outcry. They had people trying to to raise money. They had um, uh, petitions being signed online, everything. So they had to walk it back. And so uh, when reinstating the program. The letter that was written by the president said that they are the only college in the country that has a diversity issue that counts the number of males and females that are uh, make up each team and how that is supposed to be broken down in a very specific way due to a Title IX suit that was filed against Brown. So men's track and cross country are coming back, but the trade-off is the number of athletes allowed on men's sports teams has to be reduced so that they keep the diversity number 
uh, correct in terms of how many men are on a sport versus how many women are on a sport. Uh, I've never heard of anything like that before. I thought the diversity issues in college with Title IX came down to the scholarship money, how much scholarship money is available to men or women, and that a lot of men's programs are slightly smaller due to that fact. You know, um, baseball can offer somewhere between nine and 12 scholarships, but softball can offer 30 to kind of combat how many scholarships football gives out during the year. But I've never heard of an actual population being dictated by this, but that's the the new brown rule, uh, I guess, is going to be, you know, no more than X number of men on a team at a time. So I just looked it up, and it says that this came about because in 1991, the university tried to eliminate its women's volleyball and gymnastics teams. And from that lawsuit, this idea of having the equal number of people, that's where it came from. Gotcha. So... It's just something they did wrong in the past. <laughs> I mean, it's an Ivy League school, so I would somewhat probably trust their lawyers. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. I've never heard of that before. A fun little anecdote, you know, the, the girl that played Hermione, uh, Emma Watson, uh, and Harry Potter went to Brown after the fact uh, to take some classes, and somebody said they were in a class with her, and the professor asked her a question, and she answered it right. And someone in the back yelled, 10 points for Gryffindor. Oh, goodness. She did not think it was very funny. Um, <laughs> I don't think I would either. Well, I mean, you got to have a sense of humor about that. Like, come on. you're She's like a millionaire so many times over. <laughs> little did she know that she could she could be a female athlete at Brown uh, so that the men's athletics could get another additional person on the squad. <laughs> as long as she didn't blow through her eligibility, right? That's, oh boy. That's what that's what I loved about being an NAIA coach was eligibility meant almost nothing. Like uh, my buddy went to uh, a school in uh, Tennessee, um, Milligan College, which is kind of a small private Christian uh, college, and he would say that like they would get members on the soccer team who had played on like national teams for their country and like huge, you know. But you know, if they came over here, they were considered like first timers they had full eligibility and everything else so wow. um, uh, at the community college level high. we didn't have we, we had uh, no ACT requirements uh, and no age requirements um, so which, which I knew about the ACT requirement going into coaching there uh, but when we went to nationals the first year and they were asking if we should put a cap on the age of, of junior college athletes at the age being like 25 and I thought wait what and, uh, and you, you can look at those those colleges up there and like the, the, the Kansas League and stuff recruiting these 24-year-old Kenyans uh, to come run JUCO win national titles. I was like, well, I, I have a bunch of 18-year-olds. I guess, I guess we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty sure that as a grad student at LSUS who had never used any eligibility in the NCAA that I probably could have been a runner coach and would have been number three on my own team had I chose to uh, <laughs> chose to partake but I politely declined my own thoughts so <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're too uh, modest you could have at least been number two <laughs> no no I would, have, I would have definitely been third I had I had uh, a good one-two punch and after that uh simon was my number three and i think he would have been uh the first to tell you that he was he was just there doing me a favor more than anything else <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh Ooh. coach Balting is a part of 
from a little coaches group that uh, meets up for some Zoom chats uh, about once a week or so and, and discuss uh, all things coaching. Um, probably not too dissimilar from this podcast, but kind of bounce ideas off each other. And so one thing that they were uh, discussing in this last uh, weekly meeting was core or app work. So I'll let him uh, kind of take it away and, and talk about what they were hitting on. Sure. Uh, and I want to open it up to just a couple ideas for you guys. Um, you know, the, the trend that it seems that things are moving to in exercise uh, and strength stuff is more runner specific movements. Uh, both of you guys have worked with athletes on, on their fine motor skills and, and in the weight room and stuff. Um, and so that I guess the new trend they're looking at is how to make core activity uh, more runner specific. If you look at the general core routine stuff we do, uh, planks and crunches and mountain climbers and bicycles, all of that's on the horizontal plane where, you know, we're laying down or we're holding ourselves in, in that kind of plank position uh, that you're never going to use as a runner, I guess, unless you fall down and have to get back up. Uh, and so there was some discussion about, um, they were, they kept referring to it as core 2.0. Um, but uh, core 2.0 being how to work your core from a runner's position, a stand-up position. Uh, you know, so what are some thoughts on that? Do, do y'all think that, uh, are we, are we micromanaging this too much when it comes to coaching runners that it all has to be runner specific? Um, you know, I mean, a, a basketball player doesn't do basketball specific core work and still get stronger to be a basketball player. Uh, or is there something to be said for that? And should that be the direction that we're, we're we should be going in? Prasant, you take it first. All right. So I believe that, uh, I feel like core work when it comes to athletics in general should be general and you should only focus on the runner specific things. If there's a problem with that runner specifically, <laughs> because like, for example, if you work on core work, you're going to work on your abdominals. You're going to work on rotation. You should work on rotation as well. And you're going to work on hip flexion because there's this muscle called the iliopsoas muscle. And that's one of the main hip flexor muscles. And that counts as your core. And that's one of the main things that you use in running. So if you're working on your core the right way, in a general way, you really shouldn't have to worry about the runner-specific things. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, I have issue when people try to get too specific on any sport, especially at the high school level, just because I feel, you know, below the age of 16, 18, we should be more focused on building athletes than we should be focused on building a baseball player or a runner or a basketball player. Um, some of these things are going to, you know, blend. I mean, uh, you just see more and more with these travel leagues, you know, whether it be soccer or baseball or stuff like that, where kids are just kind of becoming so highly specialized these days. And I think it really does a disservice to them, um, you know, especially with runners. I mean, if, if you're taking a kid and, you know, you're having them just run you around and, you know, you're just moving in that kind of one, you know, bilateral movement where you're just going forward and backwards and you're not working unilateral or, excuse me, unilateral movement, and you're not working that bilateral, uh, you're kind of losing some stuff and you're making a kid that's going to be more injury prone. Um, you know, that being said, I'm a huge fan of standing vertical uh, core work uh, carries you know that was something we started implementing a lot whether it be like a farmer's carry or suitcase carry um, any type of like carrying exercise holding you know a, a plate uh, or a kettlebell something of that nature I think there's something to be said for you know strengthening your core 
Um, you can do hanging stuff where you're, you know, hanging from a bar and doing leg raises. That's great work for your core and for your hip flexors, uh, which is something that I've been having to work on. Um, one thing I've been doing for my hip flexor is literally hooking like a 10 pound kettlebell around my foot and, and lifting my knee like I'm running just to put that stress on the hip flexor to strengthen it. So I definitely think there are some exercises that you can do and they are beneficial. So I wouldn't say that you need to completely move away from doing core work on the ground just because you're still, as Prashant said, strengthening the same muscles, uh, you know, that, that you would be otherwise. I mean, there's no football player that is going to be, you know, actually using the bench press motion on from his back <laughs> ever. Uh, and yet, you know, how many linemen are we taking and, you know, really focusing on bench press so that when they come off the line, they can hit a defender and push them back or, you know, vice versa. So um, just because the fitness isn't in the specific range of motion that your sport is taking place doesn't mean that it's not good fitness to do. Now, Prasant, you, you brought up rotational stuff, and, and we work uh, rotational things in our core work. Uh, but then on the flip side of that, we're constantly trying to teach runners, you know, not to cross their midline uh, with their arms, not to kind of twist as they run. Um, so should we not be doing these rotational exercises, or are these rotational exercises a benefit in – running non-rotationally, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term. <laughs> right, yeah. You would want to do the rotational exercises because part of doing the rotational exercises is to help you have that stability to prevent the rotation in the first place. So if you want to have a lack of rotation, you need to have the musculature to prevent it. And so that's when you do need to do the rotational stuff. Well, good deal. <laughs> If that makes sense. So rotate so that you don't rotate. Exactly. Well, he did He did the wordplay a minute ago <laughs> about runner specific, specific to runners. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. He's, Prasant's our personal poet. <laughs> he's, a, he's a normal Chomsky. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> he's going to do the uh. Chomsky relays. <laughs> Oh goodness gracious! Well, all right, it is it is the time for us to um, pose uh, Prasant a question. I believe uh, Coach Falting once again is going to take this, and it is about a very specific Greek hero. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Prasant, we have had a lot of kids uh, running uh, on their own during the quarantine. And we've mm -hmm. dealt with uh, very minimal injury issues, but we do have some issues that have come up with some Achilles soreness. Uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball because I know the standard Achilles strengthening uh, slash um, healing process is the eccentric heel drop. Uh, right. We've had some of these kids doing. So give me something else that these kids that are getting these Achilles issues can do to either prevent these issues or treat these issues besides the eccentric heel drop? All right. So first off, let's talk about what the Achilles actually is. So that is the tendon that connects your calf muscles, which are your gastrocnemius and your soleus, down to your heel. And so that is responsible for helping your foot. Um, well, I'm blanking out. It's responsible for helping your foot plantar flex, which is, you know, pushing your foot, your toes down to the ground. So 
Um, in terms of injuries, we'll start with that before we go into the preventative treatment exercises. The best way to prevent an Achilles injury is to prevent increasing your load too quickly. So don't increase your intensity or your mileage too quickly because then your tendons can't keep up with you. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing would be preventing the forefoot striking because uh, if you strike on your forefoot, that's essentially putting those breaking forces into your Achilles and calves. So if you prevent over forefoot striking, you'll prevent Achilles injuries that way as well. So now onto your exercise question. Yes, heel drops are the main way because it's eccentric, allows for more of a target to the uh, muscles. Um, let's see, what is a different way of doing it? That is actually the main way. <laughs> I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of something so, else. So there's something that I've been doing uh, and it's it's supposed to be something for strengthening it. Uh, so I'm assuming it, it might come in handy for this. Um, and I don't have access to heavier weights. I've, I'm working with about a 50 pound weight set at my house here that I have. So I've been using that, but I would probably imagine you could go a lot higher than that. And uh, essentially I, I put a barbell on my back, like I'm going to back squat. Um, and then I put, let's say my left foot um, up on some raised platform, not very high. I, I have like a little step stool at the house. And then um, I engage my right foot up into like a calf race essentially. And it's just static. So you're just locking it in the place. And uh, again, it's supposed to promote, um, you know, a stiff foot for like a, a good strike. Um, but it's also supposed to kind of help build up the strength of uh, your calf muscle and that tendon as well. And so I hold it for 20 seconds and then repeat the other side. And I'll do that uh, three or four times, kind of as part of a, a little routine I found online that was um, talking about improving running form. Yeah, so that's the isometric contraction that you hold, yes. which you know does have, in my opinion, the same benefit as concentric and eccentric. It's like a mix of both. I don't, I'm, yeah. That is a good one. <laughs> should, should, should Raybo become the new science guy? Is this what I'm, is this what I'm hearing here? It is, it is what it sounded like. I think he's out Raybo's just me hurt right all now. the time, so he has all the answers <laughs> to the injury stuff. It, it is impressive, the repertoire of things. You know, those of y'all that weren't with us, you know, back in the day when Raybo got to Parkway, uh, it, it was so neat because kids would come up to me and be like, hey, coach, this hurts. And, and Raybo would be like, oh, wait, I got to stretch for that, or I got this for that, that Eventually, it, as a head coach, it solved a lot of my problems because people cut me and be like, "Coach, this hurts," and I'm just uh, go go see Raybo. Uh, <laughs> so it it was very pleasant. Then Raybo left, and I had to pick the slack back up again. Uh, <laughs> but I've got some killer IT band stretches that came directly from from, from Raybo being here with us. Uh, tell Coach Kennedy me. to uh, get a step up his game. That's right. Yeah, tell Coach Kennedy to get injured more often. <laughs> Coach, Coach Kennedy would have to run to get injured running. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> uh, so he, he and I are getting a lot of miles in walking. Uh, but he, even though he is, is much more fit than I am, and he's a school record holder in the 300 hurdles, uh, he is definitely not one to get out there and run anymore. So that, that is <laughs> not his cup of tea. Speaking of getting that walking in, Coach Faulting, uh, you've been climbing mountains, haven't you? Uh, I have. So uh, I, uh, I I wrote a – well, no, I wrote about the, the COVID challenge of getting the walking in. I haven't really talked about the mileage on the – or the, the mountains on the website. 
but uh, I started the year weighing about 360 pounds. Uh, I've made some New Year's resolutions many years where I was like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds, or I'm going to lose 50 pounds, or I'm going to do, you know, whatever. And it was always something that you could put off. And then if you could put it off, you could just not do it. You know, so like in January, I'd be too busy. I'd be eating unhealthy and be like, well, I mean, 100 pounds in, in 12 months, I can do it in 11 months. And and very early on in the year, you realize, like, never mind, I'm just not going to do it. And so uh, the way my brain worked, I wanted to get in better shape. I didn't want to do something where I tried to change my diet and failed or tried to lose a certain amount of weight and failed. Uh, so my New Year's resolution was to hike a mountain a month. Uh, and so what has happened is uh, the very first mountain I went was Louisiana's tallest mountain, which is um, about the height of a three-story building. Uh, not very <laughs> tall at all. Uh, but I, on January 1, I went and hiked that. Uh, and then the next month, I went uh, and uh, hiked <coughs> West Mountain in Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is uh, three times the size of Louisiana's tallest mountain. Uh, and so each month I've gone and done another mountain and I've made the mountains more challenging as I've picked them. And so because of that and wanting to be successful at that, like I've actually started walking um, about 100 miles a month, uh, getting in a lot better shape. Uh, I've lost almost 30 pounds uh, of weight. That's actual not water weight, stay off weight. And the motivation to attack the next mountain is what's carrying me into getting in better shape not this idea of some arbitrary number of uh, weight loss. And so uh, here we are in June uh, and my New Year's resolution is still going strong. That, that's that gotta be, uh, you know, a very small population or percentage of the population that's still rocking their New Year's resolution. So it, it's been fun, exciting, it's taken me to a lot of new places. Uh, I'm definitely pumped for this. And uh, as a shout out to Coach Kennedy, who also, you know, like I said, does not run. Uh, he has been with me on many of the mountains uh, putting in the work. And so it's, uh, it's, it's been impressive. Great job. Are you Very going to good. take your kids to run up the mountains too? I know that's a workout you considered before. Uh, we like taking the parkway kids to do mountains, uh, cause there's lots of mountains within three hours of our school. Uh, COVID will not allow us to travel by bus anywhere during these phases. Uh, ah. so mountains are currently out of the question. In fact, I'm actually going to go about as old school as it comes this summer and we're going to run some stadiums. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so uh, I have not Ooh. been a proponent of that in years, but based on the rules and what we have access to, uh, for us to be able to be successful, we got to get some sort of vertical movement. So we're going to... about Rainbow Road? So, uh, well, we're not even... <laughs> we really can't even use Rainbow Road right now. Oh, the, the parks are closed, aren't uh, they? Yeah, so we, uh, like I said, it's a unique experience. So, uh, but... I, I'm never one to, to be outsmarted, hopefully. Uh, I'm a, a follower of John McDonald uh, and his theories of things. And when he was at Arkansas, winning more championships than I am old, uh, he, uh, he somehow had a solution for everything that the environment or the uh, administration or the athletes could throw at him. And so I like to try to, to, to be prepared in the same manner. Very nice. Well, all right, guys. I think that's all that I have down for the day. Uh, I think Falting has one last thing to uh, to talk about here, and then uh, that should be it for us. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be loading an article uh, at the end of the week uh, recommending a book that is coming out in late June, early July called Chasing Excellence. 
by Pat Milgeris. Uh It is the only official biography of Coach Joe Vigil. Um, Vigil's name came up in our very first podcast uh, when Persant discovered the dominance of Adams State uh, University uh, and, uh, and their perfect score that they put up at Cross Country Nationals one year. Uh, if you've never had the pleasure of, of, of hearing Joe Vigil speak, I suggest you YouTube him uh, and listen to uh, just anything he talks about. His voice is like just smooth jazz. And, uh, and, and Pat has absolutely captured Joe's voice in this book, uh, telling his story. Uh, in fact, as I read the book, I, because I've heard Joe speak so many times, I actually read the book and can hear his voice in it. Uh, and it's just an amazing story of him coming from from almost nothing to becoming the coach that he was uh, and, and having kind of the same background, you know, that some of us have. I, I had no running background when I took over coaching track and cross country. V Hill had no running background. He was a football player who saw a need at a high school, uh, took over the high school, won a state championship in a couple of years, got offered a college job, took the college job uh, that's led to, you know, 50 national titles or whatever it is at Adams State. And uh, it's just amazing. And it's, it's also amazing the fact that you find somebody who's a very genuine man. Uh, they tell a story in the book of V Hill uh, going after like a Boy Scout uh, merit badge. And uh, one of the things he did was for an entire day, he set up shop on a corner next to a grocery store so he could walk old ladies across the street. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, we don't have anything that even looks like that most of the time now. Uh, within our high schools, and so it's just nice to see this genuine person uh, there and and doing the things that he did. He's like the Forrest Gump of distance running when you read the stories. Uh, and then, you know, lastly with that book, they uh, have a little segment in every chapter called Let Me Tell You a Story, uh, where the author, uh, Pat, goes and, and gets other people to tell stories about Joe and the impact he made on them, and, and they're really great. They really open up the idea that you're, you're not just reading a biography from one person's point of view. You're getting it from a bunch of, of points of view. So uh, the book is absolutely so it's amazing. not just like the running perspective. No, you right? know, there's a lot to the, the character of things. And, and again, uh, that follows my coaching philosophy 100%. Uh, so it's an amazing book. It's coming out in July. Uh, there'll be a link in the article on Friday for you to pre-order the book. Uh, having read basically every running book that's come out and every running biography that's come out, this one is worth the time and the investment. And I'm very blessed that Pat uh, sent me the manuscript to let me review it ahead of time. Uh, but I, I think it's something that we're going to see a lot of people, you know, when you look up all the time now, everybody's got a copy of like Once a Runner somewhere on their bookshelf. Uh, I think this is the kind of book we'll see, you know, uh, chasing excellence on the bookshelf of, of all these distance coaches when they're getting interviewed in the future. Well, all right, guys, that's going to do it for today and uh, for this episode. We thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned very soon. I'm currently working on getting all our old episodes uploaded to a new platform. And uh, within the next week or so, as I'm finishing up school uh, and getting a little bit more free time, you will find our podcast on iTunes and on Spotify for uh, your listening pleasure as opposed to just being able to find it on the website. So um, that'll be uh, exciting for us and hopefully exciting for you as well. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one.